buying a home on Staten Island right now is more difficult than ever, with sky-high prices, limited housing stock, and the few available homes selling in record time. So what's a prospective buyer to do? So in 2020 and 2021, houses were literally selling within two weeks' time. Oh my God. <laughs> I had a real estate agent tell me that clients would be on their way to an open house beyond the bridge, beyond the outer bridge crossing, and they'd have to call them and tell them to turn around because the house had been sold. People were going in and offering cash right on the spot. I don't know who has that much cash. People were doing this. I think that type of harried buying has thankfully slowed down because the mortgage rates have, have risen. And I think that collectively we're out of that COVID craziness. I think people were just looking, maybe they were sitting in an apartment in Manhattan and saying, I want a big house because I don't want to be quarantined in this tiny space anymore. So I think that was part of the rush. This new cyber report that I keep referring to lists days on the market, and right now it lists it at 82. And I think that's a good indicator that at least the portion, this portion of the real estate market is kind of returning to some type of normalcy. Welcome to the Staten Island Advances from the Scene, a podcast bringing you an inside look at the biggest stories on Staten Island with the reporters who cover them. I'm your host, Eric Bascom, and this week I'm joined by Staten Island Advance business and real estate reporter Jessica Jones-Gorman to discuss the borough's rising real estate prices and what that means for those looking to buy a home. Thanks for joining me today, Jessica. You know, being that this is my first time having you on the podcast, I was hoping you could tell our listeners a little about yourself and, and what you did before joining us here at The Advance. So I'm a Staten Island Advance alum, actually. I did my college internship here before um, I got hired to work a general assignment beat, and then I wrote features for a while here. I was here for about eight years, um, and then in 2006, I launched a freelance career, uh, which enabled me to be home with my kids. And during that time, I taught journalism course at St. John's University. I wrote for some magazines and some newspapers, a couple of websites, things like that. I covered a lot of business and real estate stories then, so that's what led me back here last year. Oh, great. Yeah, wow. It sounds like you have a lot of experience in the field already, so it must have been a little easier to pick up the beat seamlessly there. And it's funny, I didn't know that you had actually interned here as well out of college and then started full-time for a bit. I had the same path, actually. Yeah, yeah. Right after I graduated college, I came home, and I'm from Staten Island. This is, you know, my native newspaper and all that. So I was like, hey, let me let me see if they have anything available there, because I had been wanting to get into journalism and communications in general. And so they had an internship. I started there, interned for a year, and then I got lucky and there were several openings at the time that my internship ended. So I kind of transitioned seamlessly right into that, which worked out really well. And so who knows, perhaps I will follow a similar path at some point, leave for a little bit, do the family thing, and then somehow I'll get sucked back in. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. I really appreciate you you coming on. So I mentioned in the open that you primarily cover business and real estate for us. You just talked about that a little bit. We used to have our colleague Tracy Papora in that role before she moved to the editorial sides of things last year. So I was wondering if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about your beat and the you know the types of stories that you focus on and, and just sort of what your day-to-day looks like in terms of reporting. Sure. And Tracy was my professor at St. John's. So. Oh, really? Yeah, you really see the I've spoken to so many of her classes. It's like every year she's is just like, you want to come in? You want to come in? And so I, I enjoy those St. John's classes. That is funny, though. I was in her first class. So wow. That speaks to my age, so I don't want to talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, yep, I took over Tracy. The B covers a lot of territory. One day I could be covering news about Hobby Lobby opening up in New Springville, but the next I'm um, researching zoning regulations for like mother-daughter houses and why they're illegal. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, I think it's a lot of buzzy topics in this beat that if you live in Staten Island, it's news that you want to read. You want to know what businesses are opening or closing. You know, you want to know if this construction project that's been sitting idle for 10 years is ever going to take shape. 
So I'm Staten Island resident too, and I approach it from that angle. There's days that I just drive around and I look for those green construction fences. And if I see it, I comb through DOB records then to see what's being built. Why is it taking so long? Is it coming here? Oh, okay, that's going to be a Starbucks. This is another Italian restaurant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's also a lot of listening to reader input. You know, people will reach out and that's very helpful. Say, ask a lot of questions like, why is my house not selling right now? Or why is this lithium ion battery facility springing up next to a church and a high school? So I take those inquiries very seriously and I try my best to get to bottom of them. So, but that's kind of the day to day. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting the way that you view it and approach it because there really is a very local thing, right? And it's, it's things that people care about in that way. In terms of businesses, I mean, we have businesses that have been here on Staten Island for some of them, you know, decades, some of them over 100 years. And so when something big happens with those businesses that everybody kind of recognizes, you know, it's the Staten Island, everybody knows everybody. It's such a small little town. So, so there's that aspect of it. And then the real estate stuff, I mean, I do not envy you on the building regulations. I mean, I've gotten stuck with a few of those types of assignments before and just trying to make heads or tails of what they can do, what they can't do, why they can't do it uh, can be uh, enough to make your head spin at times. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure that your experience in the field has helped a little bit with that. I was like a bright eyed, bushy tailed 23 year old reporter at the time trying to dig through the city building code. And I did not really get much of what was going on. It took me a very long time to decipher. That's why I still feel like I learn every day. You know, something comes up and you're like, oh, <laughs> but you find yourself digging in research and then, but you're right. It's, it's a lot. It could be daunting. Yeah. And that's a big part of our job too, right? Is learning the complicated stuff and making it simple so that the average reader can understand it. You know what I mean? And so that, that's a big part of our job. And I, I feel the same way. There's so many different things, whether it's budget process, legislation, all of this stuff where I have to figure it out so then I can tell other people what's going on. So sure. definitely a tough part of the job. But Let's move on to the reason that we have you on today, and that's to discuss these rising real estate prices that we've been seeing all over the borough. So last year you did an entire series of reporting on this topic. I know I kind of, we had some other people pitch in. I had done a story or two myself, but it was really just tackling it from so many different angles. And you, you're looking at market data, you're speaking with experts in the field. And so can you tell us a little bit more about what that series was and the different types of topics that you kind of touched on there? Yeah, sure. That was a big one. And you know, because you joined us on it and it was a lot. We had a lot of meetings, a lot of different things we spoke about, but it took a, range, uh, a look at a range of real estate topics and investigated whether or not Staten Island was in a real estate bubble. And it basically took a look at what it takes to afford a house in the borough, which is a lot right now. <laughs> Topics that we touched on included, why is this such an unprecedented market cycle? The enormity of asking prices right now and the effect of rising interest rates and the effect on rising interest rates on both buyers and sellers actually. So we spoke to a lot of first time home buyers, people who had to beg, borrow and steal just to come up with the 20% down payment. We also talked to families who are looking to upgrade and the challenges that they had because everything, if you want to upgrade is pretty much in the million dollar range, I think. And then we spoke to lifelong Staten Islanders who decided to take advantage of the price hike, sell what they have, and packed it all in and moved to Florida, moved to the Carolinas. So it was a really interesting look at the measures that were taken by homeowners and prospective buyers in a very erratic time in real estate history. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm curious with some of these types of stories, it, it can be difficult to find the sources you're looking for, right? So in, in this situation, it's not like there's an online message board of like people who moved to Florida from San. So I'm curious in these types of uh, with these types of stories, how you went about finding these different people to talk to. Some of them you had to dig a little bit, and it was one of those. I have a friend of a friend who did this. You mm-hmm. know, when you hear something, you say, "Okay, let me revisit that. Let me go back. Who said that?" and and will they be willing to talk and give us their experiences? But thankfully, a lot of people were open. They wanted to talk about this because it was such a challenging time. Mm-hmm. And they were going through so much that they were okay with their personal life being kind of displayed. <laughs> yeah. My life. And that's always the hard part, too, is who is willing to put themselves out there. There are so many people who are willing to talk to us about things, but they're not willing to put their name on it or put their face on it. And, you know, that doesn't really help us too much because we're trying to humanize these stories. We're trying to tell uh, you know, the stories of our neighbors, of the everyday Staten Islanders. So it, it's great that you were able to get people who were who were willing to speak with you in that way, because I, I know from experience that I often have the uh, the opposite ex- with a lot of the people that I try to talk to from a transportation or commuting perspective. So it was great that you were able to include such a wide range of, of local sources there. So let's move on. It's no secret you know, to anyone who's in the market for a new home that the prices have gone up pretty significantly in recent years here on Staten Island. So when you were digging through the data and looking at some of that stuff, what did it show you in terms of how much the prices have risen and why that might be the case in recent years? It's funny because I think we all know that prices are high here. We live in New York City, so you know we know that prices are going to be elevated, but it's kind of like a come on moment. A 40 by 100 cape shouldn't be 1.5 million. Right. <laughs> and I'm not saying that it is, but you do run across that. But it's funny because what the experts seem to agree upon was that Staten Island as a whole is not overpriced. Even though we feel that way, you know, I had a lot of people say, it really, we aren't in bad shape. One real estate attorney in particular told me that if you bought a house here in the 1970s, you probably paid about $40,000 for it. That same house is now $600,000. So he didn't consider that an exorbitant climb, even though I think oh. I kind of disagreed with him. Yeah. But he said it was relative to salary. I don't know if I agree with that completely because I know that there's a lot of 20-somethings that make a moderate living, and I don't think they can afford a $600,000 house. I I can tell you from (laughs) first-hand experience as that 20-something making a moderate living that I cannot afford a $600,000 house right now, and I can barely afford the, the rent prices that are being charged here on Staten Island. So we'll be right back. The Mayor of Maple Avenue is a powerful multi-part podcast about Sean Sinisey, a victim of former Penn State football coach Jerry Sandusky, who was arrested 10 years ago for numerous child sexual abuse charges. The podcast series is written and hosted by Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter Sarah Gannam, who takes listeners into the world of addiction rehabilitation, where society can be quick to celebrate the consequences for abusers while not addressing the needs of their victims. Subscribe now to the Mayor of Maple Avenue wherever you get your podcasts. It is definitely a tough situation for the people who are not in it already, right? Like, yeah, sure, if you bought the house in the 70s or 80s, then you got great value on it, and now it is worth what it's worth. But for the people who are entering the market now for the first time, I think it's a little bit of sticker shock, right? When you're looking around and you're like, oh, well, maybe I just want a nice little two-family starter house thing that could run you $600,000 depending on the neighborhood that you're in. And that's actually something that I wanted to get to next in terms of which neighborhoods we're we're seeing these high spikes in because it really has seemed to be borough-wide. Obviously, with just the rate of inflation and the way that the economy works, right? Prices are going to go up everywhere over time. Like, that's just kind of what it is. But 
it seems like there are some areas that are, whether they're more desirable for some reason, but they're seeing higher percentage increases in terms of the, the, the real estate prices there. So I'm curious what kind of neighborhoods have really been almost like disproportionately affected in this way. So I'm going to hit you with a little data here. More than 4,000 homes were sold on Staten Island in 2022. Mm -hmm. And with the average sales price measuring in at about $700,000, which I know makes you a stomach job. Yeah. The Staten Island Board of Realtors, Cyborg, they break it down in a report every month so that you can easily see and identify hotspots. So Great Hills was last year's hotspot. They sold more than they, the neighborhood had more than 260 units sold there, which amounted to $179 million in sales. This is a lot of numbers. Westerly was second. And then the, the other hotspot neighborhoods were Eltingville, Annadale, Tottenville, Huguenot. So you see that there is a South Shore thing going on there, right? South Shore neighborhoods seem to rack up the most sales and they contain the pricier homes. But are those homes pricier because the neighborhood is in more demand? Possibly. But in my opinion, and that's just what I'm shooting here, I think there's other reasons. I think the South Shore is a newer section of the borough, and I mm. think that there's new construction, and, that, and that's what's going to cost you. If you want to be move-in ready and you just want to have a brand new kitchen, brand new bathrooms, you're going to pay for it. A lot of the homes on North Shore, they're beautiful, but they're older. They're Victorian homes, a little bit of a smaller lot maybe. South Shore properties tend to have a little bit more land. North Shore properties may be a little more congested, a little more dense there. So I think you're right. I think there's a disparity. And I think a good portion of the time that disparity comes from buyers wanting to purchase something where they could just boom, go right in. They don't want to do the work. They're not looking at the bones of the house. They're looking at something where I just have to paint a wall and then I'm going to just move in my stuff. So I think that's where it could come from. There could be different opinions on this, of course, but I think that's a portion of it. Yeah. And that's a great thing, a great point that I hadn't really considered in that way in that the North Shore and, and even Mid-Island really was developed so much earlier on, right? And the further south that you get, the you know, the later that those houses are built, or the there's still excess land out there that can be purchased and used to to build new homes. And so that's actually a really interesting point. Everything on the North Shore, as you said too, is a little more condensed. You don't quite have the yard space. You don't quite have the the distance from your neighbors even in terms of how the houses are, are, are built and situated. I had not really considered that, but that is definitely a, a good point. You know, a lot of people too, if they're coming to Staten Island from other places, they have a family and are coming here for more space, right? That was always the thing is that people come over the Verrazano Bridge. I mean, my parents are from Brooklyn. They had been living there their whole lives. And then they have my two sisters, they have me. Suddenly there's three kids in a Brooklyn apartment and it's not really working anymore. So you come to Staten Island because you get some space and you do whatever. I imagine that those families these days are like, well, we can go to the South Shore and everything's already built. Everything's perfect. Everything's new. And we just wash our hands of it. We don't have to go through the whole renovation process or anything like that. So that's really interesting and, and probably fueling it to some, to some degree. That's a great point. I think that's why those neighbors become a little bit more popular. And like you said, the space is the room and it, and they're newer. Yeah. Yeah. And so the prices, right? They, they're going up, they're going up, but uh, eventually they have to come back down, <laughs> right? Or I hope that that's right. And so the experts that you've been speaking to, uh, what do they think about, is it a bubble? That was the, the premise of your whole like bit, right? And so I'm curious, like, are these prices ever going to come back down? And if so, when and, and why, like what would actually cause that? One expert actually, he worked in real estate for more than 30 years. He defined this market cycle com as completely different than any other that he's ever seen. Wow. And he didn't think that the bubble was going to burst, but instead he thought that the air was going to leak out of it very slowly. Interesting. <laughs> so I thought that was a good way of putting it. 
If you look at the numbers, it's actually happening. We said earlier um, that this year's median price hovered around, last year's median price hovered around 700000 So that Cyborg report that I received actually yesterday reported that the 2023 median right now is at six twenty-five. So that's okay. a $25,000 drop. You're going to have to look at the rest of the year. We're just talking about two months right now. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely something occurring. So, you know, you'll see, but I think you know, how quickly it will normalize, but I think that there's movement happening. And that is very encouraging in my case. I and mean, if we can just keep dropping <laughs> $75,000 a year, then maybe in a couple of years, I'll be in better shape here. I hope so. And so another interesting thing that I noticed when I was looking through some of the data, because, you know, uh, we had mentioned that me and some other reporters had helped out on this project as well, is that the houses seem to be selling faster than they have in the past. It's like, as soon as they hit the market, the turnaround is they're listed for a few weeks or a few months in some cases, and then they're sold. I, again, I'm sure the data is updated at this point, but I, it was something like houses were selling like 25 to 30% faster when I was first looking at it. And this was, again, last year at some point. And so I'm sure that that's a little dated by now. But I'm just curious why houses might seem to be selling quicker than they have in the past here. So in 2020 and 2021, houses were literally selling within two weeks time. Oh, my God. (laughs) I had a real estate agent tell me that clients would be on their way to an open house beyond the bridge, beyond the outer bridge crossing, and they'd have to call them and tell them to turn around because the house had been sold. And this was them going to an open house. People were going in and offering cash right on the spot. I don't know who has that much cash. People were doing that. I think that type of harried buying has thankfully slowed down because the mortgage rates have, have risen. And I think that collectively we're out of that COVID craziness. I think people were just looking. Maybe they were sitting in an apartment in Manhattan and saying, I want a big house because I don't want to be quarantined in this tiny space anymore. So I think that was part of the rush. This new Cyborg report that I keep referring to lists days on the market, and right Mm -hmm. now it lists it at 82. So the average amount of time that a Staten Island house is on the market is 82 days. So that's up 9% from last year's stat, which was 74 days. So we're Mm -hmm. climbing, we're getting there. Most of the houses are listed then for about three months. And I think that's a good indicator that at least the portion, this portion of the real estate market is kind of returning to some type of normalcy. Yeah, and I think the the COVID aspect is an interesting one that I hadn't necessarily thought of, but we saw that in, I mean, all over the country, really. But even if you you want to stay in New York, there were so many people that wanted to get out of the city who were either young professionals living in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, other boroughs, and they just wanted to get away from all the people, right? You don't want to be in such a densely populated area. You don't want to be exposing yourself in that way. And with work then shifting remotely for most people, we saw tons of people moving upstate or to Jersey or to wherever it was just so that they could have a little more space be a little bit more to themselves, get out of the city for a while and then maybe decide to come back if they wanted to at some point. But I think Staten Island got that as well because we are the one borough that Again, as we've said, we are still part of New York City, but it's a little different out here. It's a little more spread out. It's a little less dense. You have more green space. You have all of this this kind of stuff. And so I think that while some people were escaping upstate or to Jersey or Pennsylvania or wherever it was, if they wanted to stay in New York City, this was almost like a little mini escape from them, right? Sure. You had a backyard. You could you know sit out there with a fire pit, which you don't get in Manhattan, you know. Yeah, or if you do, it's like a shared yard with like six other apartments um, that are in there. And so now that the price is so high and, you know, the house is selling so quickly, I was curious in in your conversations with with some of these real estate experts on Staten Island, just what tips they had for for anyone who's looking to buy a home either, either now or in the near future. The big thing that kept coming up in all the conversations I had was to take it slow and not to settle. 
you know, make a wish list, stick to it. Buying a home should be a once, maybe twice in a lifetime experience. You're not going to do it too often if you do it right. Mm -hmm. So I think that was what they recommended. Just sticking to what you wanted. If you wanted two bedrooms, make sure you found the two bedroom. Don't say, well, this has one bedroom and I can make it work. Usually making it work never happens. Always kind of extend yourself. I bought my house 20 years ago and it wasn't an easy process. My husband and I looked at some truly horrible properties <laughs> before we found what we were looking for. But when we found it, we knew it was right. We bought the worst house on the most beautiful block. And I think that is the best advice that you could probably give somebody. We saw longevity there and we knew that we could make the bathroom, which was from 1952, we could make it less pink and we could make it what we wanted to eventually when we had time and we had more money. But it's a scary, it's a scary process, but I think you have to be happy where you land and that's the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I know in, in some of the, the discussions that I was having with people, one thing that they suggested to me, because I was kind of approaching it from the, the young first time house buyer perspective, right? One for the article, but two, just the genuine curiosity on my part. But one thing that I heard from people that I thought was kind of interesting was the idea of almost starting small with a first step and people would be like, oh, well, I bought a condo for however much, much cheaper than what you would buy a house for when I was in my late 20s. And then I was able to live there, obviously, but then flip that or rent it or whatever. And that became kind of a stepping stone to purchasing a larger property. So I thought that that was a, an interesting perspective on it. And so I was like, oh, that's curious. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll kind of look into that. Even the apartments on Staten Island right now are listing for $200,000 in some cases. So it's obviously not $600,000. It is a, a, you know, a more achievable first step, I think, for, for young first time buyers. And I think it's something that's going to become more popular now because rent prices are really high to begin with. And so why pay to rent an apartment if you can pay to buy one and then maybe you're the one renting that out or maybe you're selling it and using that to to fund your your house purchase or whatever it might be so that's just something that they they mentioned to me that i hadn't really considered but now i'm considering both from a professional and a personal perspective sure i think my dad said to me all the time there's no such thing as a starter home he's like you're going to be in that home for the rest of your life he was right in my case but <laughs> <laughs> but i think now a starter home is a good idea i think owning something is a good idea instead of paying rent if you just buy something, no matter what it is, even if it's not where you're going to be for the rest of your life, it is a good idea to own a piece of property. Yep. And that was exactly the message that I was getting from them too. So I really appreciate you joining me today, Jessica. It was great to finally get you on the podcast and I hope we can have you back on soon. Definitely love being here. Thank you for listening to the Staten Island Advances from the scene. If you like what you've heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit SILive.com for the latest on all these stories and more. Thank you for supporting local journalism.